You're listening to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Welcome to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly, founder of Agape Moms, and I'm so happy that you would join me for this conversation. Here on the podcast, we emphasize discovering you on the journey through. And what that means is I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose. And I believe that she can do it right through the things that God is carrying her through in her season as a single mom. My guest on the podcast today is Anne Blythe from an organization called Betrayal Trauma Recovery. And Anne and I are talking about pornography usage as a form of abuse. Many of you listeners have an experience with a former partner who has used pornography, and very often it is framed as something that is a bad habit or something that is just sort of this normal part of a man's struggle. Anne corrects that view so that we can begin to understand pornography usage as not only adultery and sexual betrayal, but also as abuse. I think in many churches, we are becoming aware that pornography usage is adultery. That lines up with Matthew 5, 28, in which Jesus says, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Unfortunately, though we may understand pornography usage as adultery, it's often not handled and treated in a way that brings lasting healing because it's not being treated as an abuse issue. What's worse, I have had listeners write in to tell me that they have been blamed for their husband or ex-husband's pornography usage. And not only is that kind of thinking fundamentally incorrect, but it prohibits the one who's being betrayed from getting the healing and the support that they need. And the one who's using the pornography then is never really held accountable. Anne describes for us why many of these recovery programs don't work and gives us some insight into what you can do to practically heal from the abuse of a partner's or a former partner's pornography usage. Betrayal and trauma can cause us to create adaptations in the way that we relate to people to keep us safe. But when we're on a healing journey, those adaptations can often cause us to become stuck under long-term feelings of loneliness. I've developed a quiz over at agapemoms.com forward slash quiz called What's Your Loneliness Type? And if you take that quiz and it will take you just a couple of minutes, you'll have the ability to identify what some of those adaptations are, but also learn about some of the ways that you can shift your mindset to experience a fuller life and healthier relationships. Again, that quiz is over at agapemoms.com forward slash quiz. I'd like to introduce you to Anne. Anne Blythe is the executive director of Betrayal Trauma Recovery. Anne educates women about how to safely and effectively navigate their husband or ex's psychological abuse and sexual coercion and establish peace in their homes and families. Anne is the producer and host of the Betrayal Trauma Recovery podcast. If you'd like to take notes on this episode, look down in the show notes. You'll see something called podcast pages. 
Those are free downloadable journal pages that you can write notes on, but then also have space for you to journal about what you have learned from this episode and give yourself the opportunity to reflect with God about the next steps that you might take in relation to what you have heard here. Here is my conversation with Anne Blythe. Anne, I'm excited to have you with me today. Welcome to the podcast. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I want to start us off, Anne, with just laying a framework here. So many women in the community have been affected by the porn usage of a partner or an ex-partner, and the results are often very devastating. However, it's not always clear to us why it is so devastating. And just as I've worked with women, I think that there's this misunderstanding that pornography usage is kind of a bad habit or it's a normal part of a man's sexual struggle. And I'd like for us to start off the conversation having more of an understanding of abuse and adultery and what the real implications of pornography usage are. So could you start us in that direction? Sure. It's good to be here, Michelle. And I really appreciate your community and everything that you do. Um, Women don't get out of abusive relationships. You know, people ask, why doesn't, why don't women get out of abusive relationships? And I think the number one answer is because they don't know that they're in one. Mm-hmm. The reason why pornography use, I think is so devastating to women, their husband's pornography use is because that is abuse to them. So normally, especially Christian women, when we think of a pornography use, it always goes to the user. How can we help him? What can we do for him? How can we help him repent? Um, Jesus loves everyone. The atonement is real. Miracles are real. You know, all the, it, everything goes that direction. And it all focuses on him, what he's going through, what people can do to support him. And rarely is it defined as the effect right? So people talk about the cause all the time. Okay. So he's angry or he's upset or he has bad self-esteem or he's shamed or or he can't keep a job or whatever the, you know, things that he he's going through are. And the, on the flip side of pornography use is the effect of that, those behaviors. And the effect is always abuse. So the victims around that porn user are always going to be experiencing emotional abuse, psychological abuse, and sexual coercion. And that is why it's so devastating. It's also why it's so confusing and why it's so difficult to figure out what's going on because women's natural inclination or natural, you know, what we really want to do is protect our families. We want to support the people that we love. We want to show how much we care. Uh, generally speaking, it's pretty easy for us to self-sacrifice in order to, you know, help somebody out or whatever. So that is the first place that we usually go. It's also what all of society and the church are telling us to do, love, serve, forgive. And so as we do all these things that we think that we're supposed to do, things generally get worse for us. And we can't quite figure out why, because it's the advice we're getting from clergy. It's the advice we're getting from a therapist. It's the advice that we will find if we look up any information about pornography addiction recovery. And I I believe that's because we are looking in the wrong place to quote Indiana Jones. (laughs) We're digging in the wrong place, right? We're digging in the wrong place. What we really need to be educating ourselves about is abuse. I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan, so I get that reference. But I think uh, the other thing that is so damaging about this 
and why women are not getting help as well is that we're calling this an addiction, quote unquote, we're calling this a solution, a wrong solution to a problem. So we're admitting that, yes, this man may have a problem and that he's using an unhealthy means, but by not calling it abuse, we're simply stripping away any implication this has for the rest of the family, for the partner. We are eliminating the fact that she is struggling. She is being demoralized and devalued by this choice. And it really hides all the other manipulative habits that this user will use in order to hide his pornography usage. Mm -hmm. And so by just calling it a sex addiction, we are not properly diagnosing it and seems to be then that we're not giving it the proper treatment. Exactly. There's one other issue here that I think a lot of people don't want to talk about. And that is that so many porn users, when they are discovered, right? Usually it's some kind of discovery where you find porn on their phone, you find that they've been sexting someone, you find that they've been, you know, maybe soliciting a prostitute, something like that, right? You discover something. This is not something that they came to you and told you about. So you discover this thing and suddenly they're very repentant, right? Mm -hmm. And suddenly they're like, I'm going to go to this pornography addiction recovery meeting at my church, or I'm going to go to this therapist and I'm going to get help. And did you know that as a kid, I saw porn when I was 11 and all of a sudden we feel so bad for them because we're like, oh, that's an awful story. And, and, and we think, oh, you have been chained with this for a long time. What we fail to notice sometimes is that this can be a whole nother level of grooming. The Mm -hmm. pornography addiction recovery world is a whole nother level of grooming with a whole nother level of abuse enabling through unknowing Mm -hmm. therapists, clergy, family members, counselors, whatever, helping professionals who aren't looking at this as abuse. And so when he says, this is a known liar, Mm -hmm. this is someone who's lied for 10 years, 20 years, however long, right? This is a known compulsive liar who then says, I'm in recovery. I'm doing great. I'm going to this meeting. I've never felt better. And suddenly everyone's like, great, you're a known liar. You've been lying for 10, 20 years. Now you're, you're telling us the truth. Great. We're so glad you're here. Mm -hmm. Fake honesty. That is this whole other level of grooming of women and women. Um, they don't want their families to fall apart. They don't want the consequences of this. And so it's their, it's really what they want to hear. Right. Yes. And, um, and so that is actually one of the, the scarier parts. You, you get abused without knowing it before mm-hmm. you find the porn, then you find the porn and then you get abused without knowing it again right. through someone is claiming to have, you know, quote unquote, found Jesus or something suddenly right. because you found it. Right. And you're having the support. Now this person has the support of abusing you with multiple people who are in their back pocket now that they're saying, oh, look this, look at this person's quote unquote recovery. But then you often are seeing relapses and you're seeing yeah. increased behaviors. You're seeing it, as you mentioned, go from something that is viewing pornography to actively engaging in affairs and those types of things. And these things mm-hmm. do escalate. They, they're escalating their, their porn use. They're escalating their uh, harmful behavior. You could Mm -hmm. call it sinful behavior, whatever you want to call it, but they're getting better at hiding it. Mm -hmm. They're getting better at the emotional abuse. They're getting better at the psychological abuse and they'll just say, well, I wanted to hide it because I felt shame or something. And you're Mm -hmm. like, yeah, but what that is, is psychological abuse. Like, it's not just that you, you know, 
feel bad. It's like, I don't want to compare it to murder per se. So I'm not trying to be like, these men are also murderers. So Mm -hmm. don't get that. Mm -hmm. Don't get that impression. But Mm -hmm. it's, it's like someone who would say, well, she was going to tell on me. So I I murdered her. Mm -hmm. So what could I do? I had to silence her. Right. Mm -hmm. Same thing here. Like, well, I was going to get caught. So what could I do? I just, I had to lie about it. And you're Mm -hmm. like, no, no, you didn't. You didn't have to lie about it. Right. I think that's the critical part of this too, is I've seen women getting unintentionally indicted in the process of this, especially by really well-meaning. And I want to put that out there really well-meaning very often people helpers, whether that's a counselor, whether that's a pastoral support person, whatever the case would be. But to imply, for example, that you're not doing your role as a wife And that is why your husband would have to go and do this. And I think that's the most tragic part of this is there is never any good reason to justify one person's abuse of another person. However, that looks, whether he is hitting her, whether he is yelling at her, whether he's using pornography against her, that these are all choices that he is making on his own. That if he really did have a problem with his wife, quote unquote, not doing her duty, he could go do so many other things to deal with that rather than choose pornography usage. There's also this foundational misconception there. A wife is a partner. Right. Right. A wife is a partner, the only person on earth that you have been given permission to have a sexual relationship with, but it's not, you're not entitled to it. Correct. Because she's your partner. She's a person. And if you have a loving relationship, if you have honesty, if you can be you know, as the Bible talks about naked before your husband, where you know everything about them and you can have that emotional and psychological intimacy, which it has nothing to do with sex, then a sexual relationship can be healthy in that Mm -hmm. place. And I think that's even one of the things in this that it's kind of like where there's smoke, there's fire. So if the woman is feeling uncomfortable in her physical relationship with her husband, there may be, and not always, but there may be something he is doing already that's contributing to that. And if he is an emotional abuser and a porn user, these things are going hand in hand. So she is in her body feeling unsafe, uncomfortable. And instead of asking though, what does she need? As we're talking about here, what does she need in order to get through this? We're implicating her in the problem. And that's what I love, though, about the work that you all are doing and the fact that we're just shining a light on this is recognizing this does have effects to the partner and they're devastating. And I think it's important here to also designate the fact that the intersection between pornography and, and pornography usage and abuse is just the fact that abuse is anything that a person might do to have power or control over you. And if someone is using pornography and you are in an intimate sexual relationship with them, they are taking control of your sexuality without you knowing it. They are taking control of your ability to speak up for yourself and consent in a situation that you might not otherwise consent in if you knew what this person was up to. And you mentioned sexual coercion a few minutes ago. And I want to know if you'll go back to that for a woman who's not familiar with what that terminology is. Can you share what sexual coercion is and how porn usage is interrelated. So sexual coercion is essentially trying to manipulate consent, right? So so you've got the typical rape situation where he does not have consent and he is going to have sex with her, whether she likes it or not. Sexual coercion is where she has given consent, but under a coerced situation. So for example... That might be where he's very manipulative and he might say, 
oh, but if I don't have sex with you, then, you know, I'm not going to get my sexual needs met. And where am I going to get those met? And maybe I'll have to go, you know, get another girlfriend or so. I don't know what he's going to say, but something like that, where you feel guilty or you feel kind of pressured into it. That I would say is the most um, well-known form of coercion. But when it comes to pornography use in a committed relationship, most Christian women expect that their husband is not using porn. They expect that their husband is faithful. They expect, you know, certain things. They they have boundaries around this sexual relationship that he seems to espouse. For example, he's wearing the white shirt and tie. He's going to church. He's you know, praising Jesus. He's showing up at service activities. He's saying he loves the commandments. He might even be instigating family prayer, family scripture study. So this is a person who you would perceive as a commandment keeper, right? This is someone who you expect to have those same sexual boundaries that you do, that you're faithful to your spouse. So that double life, that like, like play acting as a righteous person is a form of sexual coercion. They're trying to groom you by showing you, I am trustworthy here. I go to church. I read scriptures. I can even quote scriptures to you. Mm-hmm. I can do all of this stuff because I'm so righteous. So therefore you're safe to have sex with me because I'm a good guy and, and I'm your husband. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, That in a nutshell is where sexual coercion comes in when it comes to porn use, because they're living this double life of using porn without you knowing at all. And so you cannot give your consent because you don't have all the information that you need. So if he were to say, sure, I go to church, but I don't really care. I use porn anyway, and I masturbate twice a week. And I, in fact, I've had an extramarital affair on the side and, you know, whatever. If he told you everything, then you could give his consent. You could give your consent. But with porn users, almost 100% of the time, not all the time, obviously, but like the vast majority of the Mm -hmm. situations is that when they tell the fake truth, when they finally come out and they say, hey, I'm going to tell you about all this, it's never everything. Where there's mm-hmm. one rat, there's 50. They only want to show you the one the one rat, right? They only want to talk about their porn use that they just started and they've only been doing it for a month and they're so sorry or whatever. Right. And they don't want to talk about the most damning things that they have done. And so then again, you are not able to give consent if you don't have all the information. And that's really a sexual coercion issue. It's a very serious, serious issue. In the business world, this is a fraud issue. Mm-hmm. This is essentially character fraud that they are sort of, you know, trying to groom you and gain your trust through not giving you all the information about who they are. And I think that's the part that makes it so confusing is that you are visually seeing one representation of this person and yet you are only maybe being let into this actual side of them that's hidden underneath. And so you're trying to reconcile which person this really is. And they're kind of hoping that you're going to rely on that good impression so that even when this sort of forced confession comes out, this partial confession comes out, that you will believe that most of it is the truth. And I think the most important distinction here is to understand that all of this is intentional, that Mm -hmm. this throw you off your their scent and keep things hidden and only give you parts of the confession and all that sort of thing. It is all part of 
basically allowing them to continue doing what they're doing. And it is one of those things that if you knew otherwise, you probably would make some different choices. And that is what's so damaging about it. Now, Anne, talk a little bit about this quote unquote recovery period. We've talked about the fact that abusers will groom you and that they will even use that recovery period to groom you. There's listeners who have either walked through this or are walking through this and are still confused about what happened or why didn't the recovery stick. Can you talk a little bit about what you will typically see when an abuser is going through that process to try to maintain the power that they have? Yeah, from from what we see, I mean, our community has over 60,000 women in it. So we we just see story after story after story. Mm-hmm. Um, that recovery period is generally speaking, a little bit of actual remorse, a little bit of maybe I should change, right? Because these types of men know that what they're doing isn't right. So there, there might be this little part of them that thinks, man, I really want to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. But then there's this huge, uh, Lundy Bancroft calls it a secret bunker underneath of entitlements. And mm-hmm. I'm, um, I'm talking with coach joy, who is our clinical director about a more heinous, heinous term for entitlements because entitlements mm-hmm. does not sound that bad, but it's, it is awful of, I would call it misogynistic sort of entitlements that they are not willing to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And so I think in, rec- in the pornography addiction recovery world that they go and they're like, okay, maybe I need to give up porn. Right. And, and that's, that's like this much of what they've got to give up in order to actually be a, a decent person. And um, they'll try to give up porn for a while and they might actually get a little bit better and they might learn the language and learn like, oh, women are people too. Wow. Like it's, this is like for an abuser, this is like a mind blowing thing for them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they might start kind of being like toying with this idea of like, Oh, can I treat my wife as an equal? Can I do this? And a lot of us have seen that we've, we might've seen long periods of that, you know, a year, two years, three years or whatever, 10 years, some women are seeing 10 years of this. Um, I think pretty soon after this, they realize, wait a minute, I don't really want to give up all these entitlements. I don't really want to give these things up. I don't really want to think this way. I don't really want to see my wife is an equal. Now, whether or not they think that consciously or subconsciously, I have no idea. Hmm. So this, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a fake recovery period as much as it is a time for them to really try to assess what they actually maybe want or don't want. And I, I don't know exactly what happens in their heads, but it seems like they butt up against this thing where they're like, Oh, if I really am going to be a good person, I'm going to have to let these entitlements go. Hmm. At that point they realize I don't want to do that. And so then they just have to fake it. And I don't think they can fake it very for very long. I mean, they can fake it for a year or two years or months or whatever, but those, the anger and the resentment really starts to come out. So also during that recovery period, if they're going to recovery, some, a a therapist or something, they're going to start talking about their resentments in a way that they have learned to in therapy. And it's going to sound I wouldn't say reasonable, but it's going to sound a little bit logical, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're learning these ways of healthy communicating, but instead of actually using them to be healthy, they start using those healthy communication tools as weapons against their victims. Mm -hmm. And then they start to get really, really scary. And I think women like kind of are like, okay, I'm going to hear you. We're going to do this for a little while. And they kind of step into the arena with her abuser and their, their like healthy way that they're going to communicate. 
and it feels kind of off for a little bit, but they think, okay, he's using I statements. He, he says he needs to get healthy and do self-care and set boundaries or, you know, whatever he's saying. But pretty soon, hopefully these women can see that they're only using these tools or these concepts as weapons against them. And mm-hmm. um, it's not, it's only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Can people change is a uh, question that a lot of people ask at this point. Can't Jesus change people, right? Or something like that. And I I have to believe that that's true. I have to believe that you really can change if you decide to. But will they change is a different story. If they're holding back, there's no way. I think that's an important distinction you made too, that this is a lifelong pattern of deception. Pornography usage is just one part of that, that there are multiple ways that they've learned to escape their consequences by manipulating reality. And it's not just for the partner. They're doing it maybe in their jobs. They're doing it in a variety of different ways. And the pornography usage, again, it just sort of gets put under this like bad bad habit umbrella. But really, if we look at the pattern of this person's life and whether or not they're willing to change it, it's just so often that this is the way they learn to cope with consequences or avoiding consequences. And so it's more important for you if that's you in that situation than to get safe. And if that person is going to change, they'll change without you there. You don't need to be there to help them change. That can sometimes even be the rock bottom thing if this person is not a hardened abuser. And I think that's what you're keying in on there is, is this person's heart hard? Are they willing to be changed and shaped? And are there people who use pornography out there who want to be changed and can be? Yeah, sure there are. But when we're talking about just this overarching deception, this manipulation, this objectification, not only of the woman who's in that image or that video, but also of the wife or the right. partner. That's that's a lot that this person has to undo if they're willing to change. When you're looking at some, is, has someone changed or are they changing? Number one, you need to watch for that from a safe distance. Hmm. However far away you can get from that person, number one. Secondly, that you need to hold your boundaries for a long time, right? So, so let's say he seems like he's changing and you're like, wow, he is changing. Maybe I should talk to him. Let's just pretend you're holding a no contact boundary. The thing at that point would be like, you know, I'm considering talking to you, but I'm not ready yet. Let's say you do that for six months. They are going to get super mad because they're going to be like, I'm changing. Why doesn't she see it? Why can't she understand? A healthy person who really is genuinely remorseful would be like, you can take as long as you need to take. And the manipulators will say that you can take as long as you need to take. That's what they'll say, mm-hmm. but the feeling will be different. It really won't feel like that. They'll be like, I can't wait forever, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so time is always your friend and distance is always your friend. Mm, taking good. space and taking time. Those are the two most important things. But most of the time they pull out the grooming when they have to move out. Mm-hmm. When there's a divorce coming, you know, when there's something happening where a decision needs to be made, they're going to try to groom at that point so that you don't make that big decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to try to stop you from doing that. Um, I want to sp- talk really quick about anger because I'm like obsessed with anger right now. Mm-hmm. Love it. <laughs> um, anger is awesome. And if you feel angry, hooray, you are not a robot. Like, you are a human being who absolutely should feel angry. Like that is the normal, like correct response to feel in this situation. So if they can attack you for being angry, like 
you're this angry woman or you're a feminazi or you're, you know, whatever they want to call you. And, and that if you weren't so angry that maybe it could work or maybe, you know, whatever, because they know that that's going to hit you because you don't want to be angry. You want to be like a peaceful, nice person. Right. So that if they can really like get to that place in you where they're attacking your values, because you have the value of peace, you have the value of love, Mm -hmm. you have the value of family. Um, Anger is not really a value that as women we espouse. It's not something that we're like, yes, I believe in anger. Hmm. But I actually think that we need to start. God gave us these emotions for a reason. They are here to protect us. They are mm-hmm. here to instigate us or not like, that's not the right thing, motivate us yeah. to take action. I, I just, I, I'm just on such a soapbox right now about anger and women like embracing it, loving it, being grateful for it and helping them channel that to a better life. That is so great. And I'm so thankful that you took time to get on that soapbox because it is God given for us to experience that anger. Something in an injustice is happening here. Something unjust is happening. And so you should be angry. If you're not angry, then you are not attuned to justice. And this is, as you said, it's to spur you into making a decision to bring you to peace. We don't want to live in anger. That's not the place where we want to settle. But anger is the thing to move us into action so that we can make a choice that is wise, get ourselves to safety, our kids to safety, do things that are healthy for ourselves, and to extract ourselves from a situation that is toxic and sinful. And I think that the manner in which that's done, certainly we want to be safe. We want to not be bitter in the way that we're enacting it. And there's a real big difference between having anger and and the way we express that. Right. I'd like to take a short break from our conversation to mention our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is Christian counseling that is available on the go. And it works through an app where you are able to schedule video sessions or just chat with your counselor throughout the course of the week. And I found that having the combination of Christian teaching and counseling together was so encouraging and so healing for me. If you have been considering Christian counseling and you would like to give Faithful Counseling a try, you can get 10% off of your first month by going to getfaithful.com forward slash single mom. As far as when the porn usage is discovered, sometimes women may feel that they want a confession. They want a disclosure but that may or may not always be in their best interest. Can you talk a little bit about why that may or may not be the case? (sighs) Yeah. Okay. So before starting material trauma recovery, I actually worked in the pornography addiction recovery complex. (laughs) The pornography addiction recovery industrial complex, should we call it that, for for years. So I was really well acquainted with these... um, both therapeutic recommendations that when you find out about porn, you should go in for like a therapeutic disclosure, right? And perhaps accompanied by a polygraph, right? Mm. And um, and so when I started BTR and then also Center for Peace, which is the only program that we recommend for men in this situation, uh, that's cenfp.org if you want to look more. It's the only organization that approaches pornography use as an abuse issue rather than as an addiction issue. So <clears throat> we're thinking like... There's there's two parts of this. There's one of just a woman who just want, maybe wants closure, right? She just wants to know what happened. She wants a disclosure. She wants to understand the truth of what happened. And then there's the second part was she wants to do it formally through some kind of a polygraph or through some type of therapeutic thing. So I'll talk first about 
the therapeutic stuff. And then I'll, I'll go into the just personal things. What we have found is so a lot of these guys can pass polygraphs. Mm-hmm. And so it's super scary to be like, okay, I want to do a polygraph, which is the only known human, human known thing that we know of to detect deceit. Um, and so the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, the more I read the scriptures, the more our clinical director, she's also a, a woman of faith, the more she prayed about it. We thought this is not like, we can't, there's, there's nothing we can do. We can't play God right? We just can't. Hmm. The only person who knows the full truth about this is God. That's it. And, and as humans, like we could try a polygraph, we could try all these other things, uh, but I just don't think we're ever going to get there. And to, to sort of pretend like we can is not, I I don't think it's a very good idea. I think Hmm. it's, it's a slippery slope where we think, well, if I find out everything, then I'll have closure or then I can, then I, maybe I'll trust him and I can have him move back in the house. I mean, there's all different scenarios wherein victims think if they know things, it will help them. Um, so there's that. So we actually don't, don't necessarily recommend that anymore. Um, we used to, uh, it's just been an evolving process. The more that we've done things and that we've seen, man, these guys can pass these things. And then we find out later that they failed, you know, that they were lying. It just Mm. makes it scary for everybody. Yeah. So there's that. So then women who are thinking, I can't move on personally until he knows, till I know everything. So I need to him, I need him to explain like how long he's been using porn or, or, you know, all these other things. I actually think the biggest danger in that case, um, well, I think there's two, but the first one is if he is willing to talk, right? So if he's willing to say, okay, you want to know things, let me tell you. And I think that is giving an abuser a shovel to hit you on the head with. Mm. Like, I think that is like handing him <laughs> the weapon and being like, here's the weapon, go ahead, abuse me emotionally. The reason is he's going to give you this sob story about how he was hurt as a kid and like that he feels bad about himself and, you know, whatever else. And they want to elicit your pity. They want to elicit your compassion. And when he's telling that story of every single thing that's happened, then, you know, that's that he's going to couch it that way. And he's going to tell it that way so that you end up hugging in the end. You're like, I'm so you're telling him, I'm so sorry about all you've had to go through. That mm-hmm. sounds awful. Right. And mm-hmm. like, then he knows he's got you. That's like mm-hmm. a huge hook. So I don't ever want women to give their abusers weapons. So that would be the first one. The second one is that you're never actually going to know the truth. So many victims say, well, I talked to him. And he told me this. And so, and I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. You talked to him and then he told you this and and you believed him? Like mm-hmm. he said, I'm not using porn anymore. And so I'm like, okay. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, this person is a compulsive liar and they're very, very good at it. So you can never know if you know the full story or not, regardless of if you, if he's told you, he's told you the whole story. And mm-hmm. so- Going down that road is really, really, really problematic. So what I, what my answer to everyone is, is you know enough. What you do know is these clear markers for abuse. You know, this clear marker, you know, this one, that, that, that one I gave at the beginning of this interview, where I said, if they've told you, well, I would have told you, but I loved you so much and I didn't want you to leave me. That's a clear marker for abuse. Um, a clear marker for abuse is if they're using porn and you didn't know that they were using porn. That's just boom, clear marker. So as you learn more about abuse, you'll start to see these clear markers and that's all you need to know. You don't need to know anything else. You might want to, Mm -hmm. but when you 
when you allow yourself to chase those things, you you're only giving your abuser a weapon. And that is just not what you want to do. Now, as far as kids being in the home, even if they're not aware of a parent's pornography usage, what is the exposure to them? What are the risks that the kids face? So when you're growing up in a home with deceit, with emotional and psychological abuse, you can tell something is not right. And most of the time, I think they internalize that into thinking, I am not lovable or I'm not enough. Because an abusive person never has enough time or energy to actually care or love or actually meet the needs of another person, right? So these kids are going to be emotionally and psychologically neglected. That is the main concern. The second concern would be that they are exposed to pornography themselves at a young age or sexually problematic behavior. Mm -hmm. Sexual abuse is a concern right? Um, If a child views pornography at a young age, they are being sexually abused by the pornography. So any child who's exposed to pornography has been sexually abused by the pornography. So they've Mm -hmm. had a sexual abuse experience. So that's a concern. Um, They're also them witnessing the way that their father treats their mother is a huge, huge problem because the, the boys might think, oh yeah, I can treat women bad. And the women might think, oh, that's how I deserve to be treated. And that's never going to be good. So um, if women are concerned that I need to stay together for the kids, the porn use is just kind of like, nobody will know about it. We'll sort of keep it back here. Uh, they're, they know they're going to know. And um, the best thing that you can do to make sure that your sons don't act like your husband <laughs> Mm-hmm. is by setting boundaries around it and being like this, I'm not putting up with this, you know, mm-hmm. like, like this is not the way that a man should treat a woman. And I don't, I want to be a good example to my son by telling him like that I'm not going to put up with this. Um, I think that's going to be safer for them in the long run than them getting the wrong impression about what is okay. Because if you don't do something about it, their little minds think, well, I guess it's okay. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened. Mm-hmm. You know, people got mad, but like, there's, uh, you know, nothing, no huge thing happened. Um, but I, I think people underestimate the the psychological and emotional damage that it can do to children. And just being in a, an environment where there is a, a person who has a deceitful character. I think the thing that's key here too, is that pornography teaches a person to repeatedly view other human beings as consumable and as objects. And they may have that tendency already, but pornography just gives an arena for that to continue and Mm -hmm. to be honed as a practice. And Mm -hmm. it's impossible for a person to be objectifying people in one sense and not doing it in the rest of their their life, in in the people in their lives are experiencing that. And so it's recognizing that our children then are going to be treated as consumables we are being treated as consumables. And mm-hmm. the only way to change that is to get this out of the house. Right. And that's really critical because I think as you keyed in there, that feeling of I'm not enough, I don't belong, I'm unlovable comes from the place of being ignored because the parent is consumed with other things. And the parents consumed with other things because if the child doesn't bring them any particular value because they 
as an object are not giving them what they want, (laughs) then I don't need to invest any time in that because, eh, you know, it's not giving me the return that I expect. Exactly. Um, I always say alcoholics abuse alcohol, drug addicts abuse drugs, porn addicts abuse people. Mm -hmm. That is what they abuse. They Mm -hmm. abuse people when they're consuming porn, they're consuming, uh, viewing people on a screen who are being exploited and abused for their own sexual gratification. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't get any scarier than that. I I, I don't know why when, when I say, uh, you know, some men are like, you're saying I'm a porn user and then you're saying I'm an abuser. Mm -hmm. Like, like you're saying I'm an addict and now you're saying I'm an abuser. And I'm like, yes, Mm -hmm. this isn't like, this isn't a hard like leap to make. This isn't a leap from like earth to Mars. This is like, these are right next to each other. It is abusive to the people that you are consuming because you're using them like a drug. There's Mm -hmm. no other, there's no other thing. And so like you just said, it always is going to be the same way they treat people just in general for their own amusement, for their own use. Like their wife needs to do the dishes. She needs, you know, like she has a use to him. And if she's not doing the things that he thinks need to be done, like a mop and a launderer, you know, a, a dry cleaner and all those other things, then he's going to get mad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And the thing, I think the thing that um, we're not even touching on in this conversation so much is just the fact even that there is a neurological change that's happening in this person's brain when they are continuing to use this drug, I guess is a good way to put it, but it is, it's changing the characteristics of their brain so that they are becoming less reasonable. They're becoming less interested in making it work. And that is really what we're up against when you do expose pornography usage and do try to go through a recovery process that the longer that this person has been engaging in this behavior, that they really are becoming a different person and that the things that they will be okay with, the things that they will tolerate, the things they'll be open to, you just see this gradual moral decline the longer that that person has been engaged in pornography usage. So as far as a woman, maybe she was in this situation, she's not even in this relationship anymore, but now she's starting to realize like, wow, it makes sense that I'm having all these triggers and all these traumas because this is way bigger than I even imagined. Right. What are some things that she should look for in a recovery type of a program for herself? Because as you keyed in, not every single counselor is going to be really well-versed in how to treat this as an abuse issue rather than an addiction issue. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there. I would say the number one thing is that this person sees this as an abuse issue, which is actually really kind of rare. Betrayal trauma recovery, we are the biggest organization that that sees it that way. There, there are a few other people out there, Sarah McDougall, Diane Strickland, um, who I consider like uh, friends in the fight or whatever, mm-hmm. allies in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would not go to a CSAT, which is a certified sexual addiction therapist. I would not go to someone who says they specialize in betrayal trauma. That sounds ironic, but most people who say they specialize in betrayal trauma do not understand abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could go back and rename betrayal trauma recovery, I would be like abuse recovery, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I wouldn't, I, ne- I wouldn't necessarily recommend a, a betrayal trauma expert unless it's betrayal trauma recovery, unless it's us. Right. Mm-hmm. But otherwise what you're looking for is an abuse expert, mm-hmm. uh, someone who can help you 
process what's happened, reframe everything that happened, um, because you're going to be left with so many unhealed injuries to your self-esteem, to the way that you think, to the way that you process information. The awesome thing is, is that as you heal, you will get stronger and just like a bone that's broken, you're going to come out like a superhero, like a shiro, mm. right? And I love <laughs> that about uh, abuse survivors and about abuse victims and betrayal, trauma, recovery survivors is that as we have like, as a community come together, it's like, like an epiphany, one of us has, all of us have it. And it's super exciting Mm -hmm. to be part of this, like super healthy group of women who I feel like we're kind of going to take over the world. It's super exciting to me. I'm like, we're getting like more and more of us get it more and more of us Mm -hmm. are teaching other women about it. And, and we're protecting our sons and our daughters from this. And so that, that's a, that's really exciting. So ask them if they have abuse experience, um, getting a referral from someone who's been through it is always good. Um, I think, you know, more than anything, a lot of people are like, I need a therapist and, and maybe you do, you know, I'm not saying you don't, but like a really good book and a really good friend go a long way. And mm-hmm. I, I, I think the thing I would love to say is you are not crazy. Nothing is wrong with you. You are just injured. Whatever you choose for your recovery and you're, you are injured. So you need something, right? You, you do need something. And I don't know if it's a cast. I don't know what that is, but whatever it ends up being for you, just, just, you'll be able to see if it's working or not. And you might try something for a little while. Let's say you come to betrayal trauma recovery, you come to our group, maybe do individual sessions. A lot of women, they feel stabilized. They feel good. And then they're like, man, I need something else. And the, the one thing that's the most important is that you're honest with yourself. Because if you're not honest with yourself, if you think I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good, everything is good, and you're not fine, you're not going to recover, right? So being honest and saying, okay, this is where I'm having a hard time. This is what I'm going to try right now. And then if it's not working, moving on or, you know, whatever, I think is important. But just know that you're in charge of your own recovery. You will recover. It will come. It takes time. It takes a little bit of work. And um, you're not crazy. You're just injured. Mm. That's so good. So important. And I like that you said you may need to try a few different things. You might do something for a while and you'll be fine. And I think that's just the greatest freedom to know that there is a little bit of process here, but you will start to see progress and then you don't have to do the same things or you might try something different. Yeah. There's also weird ways of healing. Like for example, I have been slowly getting rid of literally every single thing in my house. So that meant sometimes I, I needed to remodel or I needed to like change some flooring or I needed, And, um, I actually took down a wall in my house, which was like, I don't know, this is like breakthrough moment. It might be gardening. It might be, um, it might be just weird things that you don't think about. Uh, so many people will, will think, will try to imply that you're crazy. And so you need some kind of therapy. And I'm like, <laughs> No, you, you might need to remodel your house. You might need to move. You might need to change your job. You know, I, I don't know what any of those are going to be. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. And, and sometimes you're going to have those moments where you know that you know that you know, especially if you've been reading books, like you said, or you do have somebody who is an expert, whether it's a friend or a group that you're a part of. When you finally are getting language for this and you're finally getting clear, you will be the first one. And it will be hard sometimes to bring people along with you. And sometimes they don't want to come. And so it's important for you to be able to stand on your ground and say, nope, I know what the truth is and I'm going forward in that. And that's actually tremendously healing as much as it's difficult. It's tremendously healing because if you've been 
in a situation where your reality has been denied repeatedly for you to now have a clear understanding of yourself and your reality, even if other people don't see it, that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and as long as you have one or two people that are, that are in reality with you, mm. be okay. it is, it, I would say it's impossible or feels impossible. I, it's not necessarily impossible to do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's where like somebody like, like betrayal trauma recovery, like my organization is great for people who genuinely feel alone and that nobody gets it until they get their, you know, feet under them. And then they can sort of test maybe some people in their name and see if they can find some safe people, because there are people in this who do get abandoned by their friends. They do get abandoned by their mm-hmm. family. And that is super, you know, super hard, especially if it's quote unquote, just porn and you're not being forgiving. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, so good. And I think just to wrap us up, as far as forgiveness is concerned, I think, and as we kind of go back to that point you made about anger, I think that where I went in my journey was anger prompting me to understand forgiveness as something that is setting me free, that mm-hmm. I am allowing this person to endure the consequences with God or on their own. And I don't have to be a part of that process. And that's something I just want to tidy up here is the understanding that forgiveness, you can do that angry too, that you can say, I'm cutting myself off emotionally from having to put any more eggs in this basket because it's not good for me. And that's really what the heart of that is. That journey, that part of that journey is, is to cut that tether for you. Mm-hmm. It's trusting in God's justice. I think mm-hmm. like forgiveness is saying, I am like, I'm leaving this to you, God. Like I'm going to let go of, of this, um, in order for you to deal with it. Right. I think the other thing is we don't want to be encumbered by these negative emotions that I'm so in love with right now. Right. I'm so excited about anger and bitterness and all those bad emotions. I'm like, feel them, feel them. The same thing, this at the same time, when you're ready to release these things, Mm -hmm. right. When you're ready to be like, this is not, I don't like this. This is uncomfortable for me. I want to live a life of peace and that, that will come right. Mm -hmm. But in its own time and its own place. Um, at that point, God is there and he's there for you. And that is when that's, those are the times to consider forgiveness and what that means. Mm-hmm. And, and your own interpretation of it's going to help my personal own interpretation of it is that I have an ex who can only feed off of other people's energy. He doesn't have his own energy and he has to like consume other people in order to survive. This is my own interpretation. Mm-hmm. And so I forgiveness for me looks like I'm no longer going to feel any of those negative emotions toward him or have any of those emotions, you know, in my, like some people call it like a charge, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, like, like emotional charge associated with thinking about him or thinking about the experiences. I don't want to do that. I want to live with my savior in a peaceful, safe, happy place, trust and reconciliation. Those that's, that's either for them. Like if you trust somebody, it's a gift you're giving them. And also if you're reconciling with them, it's a two, it's a two way street. Right. Um, and that God never asks for that. There's nowhere in the scriptures. There's nowhere in the Bible. There's nowhere that says, and you are required to trust wicked men. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the important thing is recognizing forgiveness does need to happen. Trust and reconciliation. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. And that is something that if it ever is going to happen, as you said, it's a two-way street and you are only responsible for your side of the street. 
Right. And you've given us just so much fantastic perspective about pornography usage as abuse and how we can move through that and heal. As we wrap up the conversation, I ask every guest the same question at the end. And it is, if there's just one thing that you want a single mom to know, what would it be? God loves you and that he will carry you through this. And I I think one thing for me, when I started betrayal trauma recovery, when I became a single mom, I remember praying and I said, God, I don't know how to run a business or an organization. I don't know how to run an organization. I don't know how to help women. I don't know how to be a single mom. I don't know how to do any of this. Um, I need a partner. I need a husband. I need a, a someone to run this organization, right? I don't know how to do any of this. And I said, will you be that person? Mm-hmm. And um, I really feel like he has been. Like, I feel like I have a husband in in my heavenly father. I feel like he protects me. I feel like he provides for me. I feel like he, like with BTR has grown and, and just become something that I never expected that it would become. And um, he can be that for you too, because we do need someone to protect us and we do need someone to provide for us and God is there and he will do it. And, and, and I don't know, I I love being a single mom. It's, Mm. it's, it's so much more peaceful and happy than being married to an abuser. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. That depiction though, of God being your provider and protector and husband and just seeing all the beautiful things that he's done through you and the work at BTR. So good. Miracles, women, miracles. Mm -hmm. Like God is a God of miracles and I don't know what he's going to do for you, but like put your life in his hands, obey the commandments, you know, and he will take care of you. And it's, it's, it's amazing watching women and their, the experiences they have and how God comes through for them. It's amazing. So good. I don't think I could smile like any bigger than I am right now. Just like ear to ear. So, so good. Tell listeners a little bit more about BTR and the resources and how they can follow along with you. So Betrayal Trauma Recovery is an organization. When I started, I just started podcasting in real time. This was in uh, July 4th, 2016, my Independence Day, apparently. I didn't even realize I had done that. My assistant was like, did you mean to start podcasting on this day? And I was like, no, what? I did? Anyway, it was weird. But, um I started podcasting and then I had women from all over the world contacting me. And I was like, I don't know what to do because everybody needed help. And so then I brought on eight coaches who were trauma certified. They are amazing. They, they, I, I can't even tell you how incredible our team is. And we developed a, an online group that runs multiple times a day in every single time zone. It is always running. It's always mm. there. It's the only group that I know of that is a, that understands abuse that runs all the time. And it's all online. It's been online since since I since 2017. That's when everybody came on. Um, and I call us kind of the ER of trauma. So like whenever something happens that's pretty that you're like shook up about and you want to tell somebody about and you need support, but your clergy doesn't get it or your therapist isn't gonna be there for three weeks or you know, whatever, that you can get right in and someone will get it. And our coaches are incredible, they facilitate it. We do have like a lot of guidelines in our group to keep it safe because it's really important. Like it's a no porn zone. So we don't allow anybody to be like, oh, well, I don't think porn's bad, but I'm really upset that my husband had an affair. Like we're like, no, no, no. It's all an affair to us, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we have a lot of guidelines to keep it safe. And then a lot of women, they really like group, but then they also want to get individual help from our coaches so they can get individual 
They can schedule individual sessions. The podcast is on Apple Podcasts, or I think it's on every podcasting app. It's Betrayal Trauma Recovery. If you can't find it wherever you get them, it's also on our website. And our website is BTR for Betrayal Trauma Recovery. So BTR.org. We're also on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Um, We're around. So we'd we'd love to have you. Yep. And I will have links available in the show notes for the listeners to find you all more easily. But Anne, thank you so much. Thank you. If you are a woman who has experienced the abuse of a partner or a former partner's pornography usage, I just hope that this conversation brought you a new piece of your healing puzzle. Give yourself a moment today to grieve what you've had to experience and honor the suffering that you've endured in a new way as you start to peel back these new layers of healing and allow God into that space to cover you with His presence. As we wrap up today's episode, I do want to point out a couple of resources available in the show notes. The first is our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Going through the issues and things that we're dealing with as single moms in community is so valuable. And so if you'd like to join the Facebook group, all you have to do is search for Agape Moms on Facebook at Agape Moms, and then click on the groups tab there and submit a request to join the group. Likewise, if you would like to follow along with Agape Moms on Instagram, you can search for us at Agape Moms. Additionally, I now have a weekly video guided scripture meditation available for every episode of the podcast. And if you subscribe to the Agape Moms YouTube channel, you will receive notifications when those videos become available. And it's just a great way to start off your day with some encouragement from God's word and apply some of the things that we're learning here on the podcast. I also want to thank you for your subscriptions, your rankings, your reviews. It's so encouraging to me to see what God is doing in your life and to see Him on the move, but it also helps other women to be drawn in to just what God has for them here as well. And as you move through the rest of your day or your evening, I just pray that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.